This time, on episode 440 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Disney Plus Episode 2, Superhuman Law, and weekly Marvel news, including the Fantastic Four maybe having a director announcement coming soon, She-Hulk versus Ms. Marvel's audience number assessment, and She-Hulk teasing Wolverine. I'm Willie D. Nelson from All Things Good and Nerdy, a pop culture podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other tantalizingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Special Counsel Anthony. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book universes as told on screen by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, August 27th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Court TV wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because of saying sorry with haikus. If you'd like to talk to us about apology haikus, you can catch us on our website, legendsofshield.com. If you would like to leave us a voicemail of your best 575 haiku, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you would like to try leaving us a haiku on hard mode, try heading on over to Twitter, where you only have 280 characters to fit all that beautiful poetry in, and make sure to tag us at Legends of Shield. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash geek. If you want to fight with some people over who can write the best haikus, why don't you head on over to the Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network and lover of poetry. I used to have to write haikus when I guested over on Smoking and Drinking in Space. It's a thing that they did. So they would have their guest have to come in and write a haiku. So I do have some recent experience writing haikus. It is not my preference to be an expert in haikus but it is definitely challenging and i could see abomination having some mental fun with that that sounds pretty fun i would like to hear them now where can they be found they can be found right now at smoking and drinking in space.com but in the future they might be somewhere else hey anthony welcome to the podcast it's good to be back once again you folks are continuing to pay my hourly, so I appreciate that. And uh, as long as you keep me on retainer, I will keep showing up. We definitely need you on retainer just in case we need to break out of prison. Any prison break requires an attorney. Yes, although to be fair, you probably shouldn't disclose that kind of information in advance because although attorney-client privilege does protect a lot of the discussions, 
if you are informing me that you are going to be committing a felony, I am ethically obligated to report that to the proper authorities. See, this is why we need a special counsel to tell us these things. At least that's what I remember from Crim Pro and Crim Law that was over 10 years ago, and I just do estates planning now. All right. Well, Lauren couldn't be with us today, and we do have a voicemail message from her, so stay tuned. You will still be hearing from her. But in the meantime, it's us three. We watched She-Hulk episode two, and everybody is just raring to talk about it. So should we get to it? Yes. I think so. Let's do it. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Episode 2, premiered on Disney+, Plus Thursday, August 25th, 2022. The episode is titled Superhuman Law. The IMDb description reads, Jen is hired at a prestigious law firm, but must practice as She-Hulk and rep a complicated client. Chris, who directed the episode? This episode was directed by Kat Coro. Same director as the first episode, which is why this has a lot of the same feel to it. She still has directing credits going back to 2007, including Brooklyn Nine-Nine, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Modern Family, Dead to Me, this film called Marry Me that I haven't seen yet. And we will be seeing her for six of these episodes of She-Hulk. Michelle, who wrote the episode? This episode was written by Jessica Gao, has 20 writing credits starting in 2008, including Robot Chicken, Lab Rats, Silicon Valley, Rick and Morty, and six episodes of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Jessica is also the show's showrunner. And now is as good a time as any to hear from Agent Lauren. Hey, y'all. It's Lauren. Sorry I can't be there today. It's kind of a short notice thing. So I really liked this episode. I think I liked it more than the first episode. I enjoyed Jen's family stuff. I really enjoy leaning into the whole legal thing. I mean, Blonsky does have a point. I need to rewatch Hulk, but yeah, there's, there's more to it than just, I hate Bruce Banner. I'm going to rampage through a city. I also had some stuff to say about tokenism versus representation, but it's a bit more nuanced than I can get into on this voicemail. So uh, feel free to talk about that as you will. I'm going to try my best to be there next week. I, again, really like this episode, and I will talk to y'all later, and I miss you. Bye. All right. So with that in the books, we'll definitely talk about that in a second. But before we get there, we have an exclusive on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we do every time we watch something new, and that is go over a synopsis so we don't have to restate what we already did. So this was written by our phenomenal agent, Agent Michelle, and I can't wait to get into it. Anthony, what do we got in this episode? So Bruce is right. You can't pick your own superhero name as the noobs dubs Jen She-Hulk, which sticks in her craw a bit. But at the bar, Jen gets flack from Dennis, free drinks at the bar, and learns that being hero comes at a cost. By saving the jury, Jen loses the case and her job. Job hunting montage. No one wants a possible sideshow in their firm. Now it's time for family dinner. Jen brings pie. Of course, Ched brings up Jed getting fired and boasts about being the new manager at the Best Buy. The family questions her about Hawkeye and his responsibility of picking up his arrows. GLK and H get Jen fired. 
and then hire her to be herself, except it's her green self. As the head of the Superhuman Law Division, Jen complains that people will think she only got the job for being She-Hulk. Nikki's happy for her, though, and Pug comes with a welcome basket and reveals what everyone needs to know, the best place in the office to poop. Jen's first case is the parole of Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, who tried to kill Bruce, well, the Hulk, many years ago with a different casting of Bruce Banner. Jen visits Blonsky. She learns Emil has a new worldview, writes haiku, and has the sad tale of being used by the U.S. government and wants to start a new life with the seven soulmates he met through the prison pen pal program. So Jen has a conversation with Bruce. Well, it's mostly a monologue about her thought processes about why she's going to end up taking Blonsky's case. Bruce lets Jen know that he and Blonsky dealt with their issues years ago, and Bruce ends the call as he leaves in the spaceship that caused the car accident. Also, Bruce says the thing, that thing being the title of the episode. After telling Mr. Holloway that she will take the job and has a winning strategy, she learns that Blonsky somehow escaped prison and joined an underground fight. An underground fight with Wong. Ooh, the plot thickens. We have combination of different things in phase four. Let's start off with our first thoughts. We already heard from Lauren. Michelle, what are yours? 25 minutes was just way too short. It was just like it started and then it was fun and then it stopped. And I was just, did I miss something? Did I fall asleep for a moment? No, 25 minutes. We get a lot of very important information getting passed along here both to the characters between themselves and to us as the viewers. Like Michelle said, it was kind of a breezy episode, but my biggest quibble is that it didn't follow up on the uh, Titania stuff more. There was given a little bit of a glossy gloss over at the beginning, but then we didn't really find out too much. So that was my biggest point of contention, as it were. Uh, as a father, if I would have figured out that one of my kids had superpowers, I would have asked all the same things. I would have asked about other superheroes, and I would have enjoyed the new talents of my kid to try to do something. And I enjoyed that in the episode, even if we had to wait all the way to the post-credits or mid-credit technically scene to see that. All right, Lauren had brought up a point about token representation. I think that's important for us to discuss here. I think it would have been a lot more meaningful had Lauren been here. However, it is something that we can at least address. So we're talking about the fact that She-Hulk was brought on board, Jen Walters was brought on board to the law firm to head up the division specifically because she had a visible superpower presence. And that is... Pretty much the definition, I guess, of token representation. Anthony, since it's legal, I'll start with you. Well, it depends on what you define as a protected class, because then you get into a whole host of uh, hiring discriminations. I don't believe I took employment law. It was never an area that interested me. So I'm by no means an employment law expert, but I do know that there are protected classes with respect to hiring and firing. And there, there has been a large discussion overall in the real world over the past several years over tokenism and trying to increase diversity hires. But is it done at the is the complaint? Is it being done at the expense of talent, or is it just a situation where there are actually diverse hires with extensive talent that have been overlooked because? 
they aren't white, cisgendered, hetero, white males. So there's been a lot of discussion about that. I, with, um, I specifically think of the Rooney Rule in the NFL, where teams are required to at least interview minority candidates. And unfortunately, it's become a situation where many very qualified minority candidates get an interview for a job that they will never get just so the team can check the box to say, yeah, we interviewed a minority. Now we're going to go ahead and hire this white guy. So there is some concern, a valid concern that Jen has. However, I think in the context of the show and in the MCU, this is an area that we haven't really seen before with respect to superhuman law and superhuman lawyers. So is there a discussion there to be had about tokenism and representation? Absolutely. Is it also a situation where Jen happens to be the sole member of that Venn diagram? That's also very possible. Sole member, as long as they know of anyway, because you do have your whole daredevil situation going. But part of this, to me, I'm, I'm just trying to take the other side of this because I think somebody needs to. You have a superhero lawyer. Like, who else would be a better person to actually handle the legal cases of other superpowered individuals? Like, you have somebody who is a competent lawyer in her own right anyway, that is proven by the fact that she was going to have this case won until Titania came in and kind of swayed the jury. So, yeah, she got hired because she is a superhero, but also she's good at what she does. So, sometimes it kind of comes into the right thing being done for kind of the wrong reasons, or at least not the best reasons. I can understand both sides because this is tricky. Representation matters. So if you are a superhero in trouble and then you just get this regular human, you might feel, well, they, they, there's part of my story they will understand. But when She-Hulk comes in, it's that identifier. Also, she's approached by Holloway by going, he says, you almost won against us. I know you're talented. and. He also assigns her an important case and says that if you don't take this case, you don't have a job. So it's not one of those, oh, you're just here to stand here, be pretty and be She-Hulk. And then all these other lawyers are going to handle the legal cases. I think if that was the case, that would be an issue. But she is expected to be the lawyer who's also a superhero. And I think that part matters. As far as Jen being the only one in the division being superpowered, we don't know at this point if Hug, who is the only other person that we know of in the division, if he is superpowered or not. He could be. I don't know. I haven't read the comics enough to know if that's a comic-based character or whatever, but it is possible, I guess, right? Pug is from the comics. He was, he was in the Dan Slot run. I do not believe he has powers, though if I remember correctly. All right. Somebody else that we know has superpowers is Titiana. Okay. So she is a superhero influencer, according to the news clips that we saw. Other than that, who is she? Where'd she get her powers? What is her origin? What is her gig? 
what's going on with her? We don't get it. She just appears and then disappears. What up with that, Chris? I don't know. That's the whole point. Really, we don't know that she has powers because we don't see how she busted through the wall. She could have just taken a temporary make yourself strong pill and that's all it was. It just Titania has nothing being told to us here. And if we don't get more about her in the next episode, I'm going to I don't want to say I'm going to be angry because the episode's going to be fun anyway, but I'm going to be kind of annoyed because first world problems and everything. Yeah, I was expecting a bit more from her considering I love the actor who's playing her. And if you have that individual being responsible for Jen exposing herself as She-Hulk, then having a good follow-up about who she is, I kind of thought the first case was going to be dealing with Titania instead of Emil. That surprised me that it was Emil and not not her. Yeah, as I said uh, in the overview, that was kind of my biggest thing is the first episode ends with that dramatic confrontation titania shows up jen punches her out and then the episode starts with oh yeah titania got arrested and then we ignore it and i'm just like oh, i wanted more i need i i wanted to know what was going on who is again to the points that everybody's raising who is she how did she get powers what's going on i want to know more about her instead it just takes a turn and i know that we're going to get there i know it's obviously going to be resolved that this isn't just like a one-off character but i don't know i just thought it was maybe an, an odd stylistic choice to end the first episode with that cliffhanger and then not address it and just kind of leave it and say oh yeah we're going to tease you with this and then put it off to the side like come on man I've got some editing comments later on. I know Michelle has talked about the length, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But since we're on to Tanya, let's talk about the mistrial and what that really means for the comics. Anthony, you got a note about that? So I think this is definitely something that this has been brought up in the comics. And it is a, a very valid ethical concern in a world where superheroes exist. And especially where the the defense attorney can very clearly claim that this prejudice the jury because no person no rational individual is going to say you just saved my life but i'm still going to vote against you like oh my gosh you saved my life thank you so much i owe you i'll vote in your favor so that is an absolutely valid ethical concern and i'm really curious to see how much of that interplay between the ethics of superherodom and the ethics of being an attorney are really going to come together because this is something they touched on it very briefly in daredevil in the netflix series but not to any great extent frankly i think that version of matt murdoch was one of the worst lawyers i've ever seen represented hashtag foggy for life but i'd like to see where they're going to go with jen and her ability to navigate this interesting area because as holloway said this is kind of a burgeoning area of law that there are rights, there are concerns that have to be taken into consideration, and it's going to take a super lawyer, pun fully intended, to figure all that out and navigate it. I think another thing that is pretty obvious in this show is that Jen has kind of two wardrobes, and 
the two Roger robes actually are kind of fitting her pretty much after their clothes kind of ripped off in the first episode. So again, Chris, what's up with that? I have no idea. I was trying to ask Haley about that as we were watching it again this morning. And one of the first things she said after Jen gets to GLK and H was how are her clothes going to fit? Because she didn't know that she was supposed to be She-Hulk. So, okay, I'm sitting there, you know, maybe they're kind of like spandex or something stretchy. He's like, no, the flow on that fabric and everything will not work if it's that stretchy. And it will not be that stretchy. And yeah, when you get to the prison, the clothes do look a little big on her. But that is a big change going from Gen size to She-Hulk size. And the fact you'd have to be carrying your shoes around if you're expecting to be in maybe both Gen form and She-Hulk form. Unless you're going to have shoes that really stretch. And I'm not sure how that would work. Because she probably goes up at least three or four sizes when that happens. And it's just one thing Kaylee did like about the first episode court scene was that it looked like the clothes ripped in a way that would be easy to fix and potentially could have been made to do that on purpose, ripping at the seams and everything. Cause then you just put seams back together and you're fine. But everything else, her big old thing was, this is too big of a size difference. There is no way that you can realistically get the clothes to fit the way that they are fitting on Jen and She-Hulk and have no way of like, oh, I'm going to go change my clothes real quick. And they're in the middle. Yeah, the wardrobe physics is going to be interesting in this series. I do know there is some fabric that can stretch and look good on different sizes i remember what's called the canister dress where it was just you opened it up it was this fabric and it was stretchy and you could make like a sheath dress out of it or, or something and i ever it was years ago thinner and not thinner people were were wearing it it's all those little things about being a superhero about you know superman wearing his outfit underneath his clothes isn't that like an issue you've got a cape and you know because he rips open his shirt there's the s so he's wearing it underneath same thing with batman i mean he's got to switch quick as well doesn't it get a bit clunky it's one of those weird things that the show brought up because she mentions i'm going to have to get a whole new wardrobe to be she hawk so the show brought it up and it is a point to pay attention to i'm not much for fashion i wear tough mutter shirts or white t-shirts when i'm home and shorts so fashion is never anything that really interested me i saw the clothes ripping but honestly i didn't give much more thought to that i think it was a situation where they kind of covered themselves a bit in the first episode when they were doing the flashback and Bruce is like, who's your best friend? Spandex is your best friend. At least for the, the undergarments, I can't speak to the overclothes, but at least the undergarments I would imagine are probably just made of spandex just for simplicity. I mean, there's valid stuff, but it's also, you know, not anything I'm going to 
think too much about. We've already established that certain items and things in, in the MCU don't exactly obey the laws of physics. Cough, cough, caps, shield. I love the scene where she goes in and sees Emil for the first time and they say no superpowers. So she has to revert back to Jen Walters form, which she could transform into her superpowered self at any point in time. So whatever, I just skip through that. But as she's standing there in front of Emil talking about the clothes, she obviously looks like a little girl in her mom's clothes. They are huge on her. So at least they did that right. And of course, we have that interaction with Emil and we see him for the first time since 2008, I believe. It's the first time we see Abominate. Well, we see Abomination in Shang-Chi, but this is the first time we see Emil. And honestly, I mean, that was pretty good conversation. Other than the fact that he was obviously gunning to be bigger and stronger and he wanted to be superpowered to the point where I think there was desire there. He's got a point where the government did pump him full of superhuman serum. Well, I rewatched the actually went and we watched the incredible Hulk and William Hurt, amazing actor. They both are. And in that scene, he is manipulating and telling Blonsky certain things. And Blonsky is told like right from the beginning, he is the good guy. They're going after something wrong and evil. And in this conversation, by the end of it, He's hooked Blonsky and Blonsky's like, yes, if I had a body that could withstand certain things with the knowledge I have now, I'd be such a better soldier. And Ross gets him to agree to get that serum and such in him. And then during a fight with the Hulk, he gets actually injured so much they think he's out of it, but he heals. And by then, of course, his worldview is skewed. He still thinks he's the good guy. He was told to go after the Hulk. Well, Bruce Banner and the Hulk. He was told to stop the Hulk. That's why they pumped him full of things. He loses again. And he's like, I need to be ready for round three. And then that's when he does go to Mr. Blue to get the rest of you know, the serum to become abomination. But by then he is so brainwashed and has his wires crossed so much that really there really wasn't any other destination for him except for wanting more power. So he has a case. That's what I'm saying. He has a case. He does have a possible case for coercion. There's a, a host of things. Now, that, that gets into almost, I would say, contract law. There's a number of things and venues that uh, Jen would have at her disposal to address some of these things. Again, uh, coercion and then being under the influence and things of that nature. So there is a valid argument. Of course, the counterargument to that is that Steve Rogers was obviously also had taken the super soldier serum and did none of those things. So. That I would say is that the counter argument, you know, I'm just, I'm really wondering from a character standpoint, whether these comments are real or if it's crocodile tears. And I'm assuming we're going to learn more about that uh, as the show goes on. There's also something to be said, though, 
for the fact that he didn't go and do this stuff until he got the serum put in him. I know plenty of people who walk around wishing they could commit crimes of various levels, but they don't do it. And, you know, if you have somebody going and putting the superhero serum in you, and that is just making you commit the crime, that's something you might not have done without having the serum put in you. Now, Michelle, you also mentioned that you watched Shang-Chi, and you watched the Incredible Hulk, but you watched Shang-Chi, and there was a fight in Shang-Chi, for those that haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it a little bit because we saw it on screen, where the Abomination is in this fight ring with Wong, and we also get the supposed escape of Abomination from the Supermax in here, and we're assuming Wong might have been the one to enable that, I don't know. What's with that, Michelle? Because you watch Shang-Chi. Michelle goes to the underground fight. You know, he's known as Bus Boy. I still love the fact that he's Bus Boy. Before that, we see the main fight, and it's Wong versus a creature. Later on, for those of us who, when we get a better look, we realize, oh my goodness, that's Abomination. That's Blonsky. And they're doing a real fight. Eventually, Wong. Is like, oh, you want to know what your punch feels like? And he does this little thing and he ends up having abomination hit himself. Afterwards, they actually go into, I guess, like the locker room, so to speak. And Wong is talking to him about controlling his punches, about better ways to fight and be controlled. He's talking to Emil as though they have been working on this for a while. And then he does his whirly thing and he's like, okay, it's time to go back to your cell. Blonsky and Abomination have no objections. It's as though this has been a routine. And when you open it up, it is that cell that Jen visited. It's the same one. So I'm wondering, when did Wong decide to do this? Is he one of the seven people that Blonsky met through the pen pal program? What's Wong's agenda? It has so, it's so many things. I mean, in the film itself, I think a lot of us were just like, what's going on with that? But now we're getting this other aspect of it, of actually seeing Emil in prison before this. Did working with Wong help him spiritually? And did he get haiku writing advice from Wong? Who knows? how deep their relationship goes. Yeah, I think that's maybe something that we're going to explore in future episodes because we know based on the commercials and trailers, I mean, minor spoiler, that that Wong is going to be in the show and he's going to have a conversation with Jen. I don't know that it was necessarily a situation where Wong brought in Blonsky or broke him out initially. How they came to meet, I'm not sure. I'm Assuming we're going to find that out. But Wong has always kind of had that trollish edge to him. So it wouldn't entirely surprise me if he was kind of instrumental in helping break Blonsky out and say, you know what? I think this guy would make a good fighter. He could probably make a a decent amount of money and we can work with each other to get some money and 
gain some fame from these these streamers filming the underground fight club so it wouldn't shock me if wong did that because i think that would be entirely within his character but i'm also not going to say that maybe he was the one who instigated it i'll wait to find out a little more information you know that kid in school that the teachers all loved because they thought that the kid was good and was always well behaved and they could get away with anything because that's what the teachers had as their first impression of them because that's Wong and Wong's going to pull some stuff off here. That's my prediction. It might not be here in the show, but Wong is going to be pulling off some major shady stuff and nobody's going to suspect it because he's just good little innocent Wong who always is good. The question I have is, does Abomination bow before the Sorcerer Supreme? Excellent question. I don't know that he would be aware of the tradition. Obviously, Stephen knows, but I don't know if Emil knows unless Wong told him. Right. And my other question is, I don't know why Emil wanted to meet with Jen prior to his escape. Maybe it was inconsequential, but I have to think that it was a plan somehow. That's the way the show was going to roll, is that Emil had some sort of plan to escape. Why did he want to meet with Jen beforehand? I have no idea. But it's not a true escape, because he goes back. Well, we don't know that at this point. You are equating what happened in Shang-Chi to exactly what happened right here. And I'm not totally sure. It's one for one. But that's the news footage that they use. So, yeah, okay, maybe you're right. Sometimes the news lies. I know that's a shock to everybody. I know. (laughs) Let's step off that third rail right now. (laughs) And let's talk about the loving family dinner, okay? (laughs) Let's talk about this family dinner where we get Mark Lynn Baker. Oh my gosh, it took me a second. I'm like, I know him. I know him. I know. Oh, perfect strangers. That's it. Did you guys catch that? No, but now you've blown my mind. You know, it was a thing where I was like, I know I know him from somewhere. Mark Lynn Baker, who is also in my favorite year, which is a fantastic film, Peter O'Toole. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. But uh, Mark Lynn Baker, wow. I'm going to go do the Dance of Joy now. I think I'm too young for that show. Mark Lynn Baker, who is asking all about Hawkeye and, you know, just assumes that Jen knows all about Hawkeye. Just because your cousin is Bruce and now you're a Hulk doesn't mean you know Hawkeye. And of all of the adventures to ask about, you ask about Hawkeye and him picking up his arrows, which now means every time I'm going to watch a fight with Hawkeye, when it cuts to Captain America doing something cool, now I'm just going to realize that off-camera, Hawkeye is going around picking up all of his arrows. And when it cuts back to him, he can shoot some more because he's had time to go around and pick up all his arrows. Well, we kind of got that a little bit in the Hawkeye, right? Where he was going around trying to get his arrows back so he could shoot them? I think that was also referenced when Jeremy Renner hosted SNL. They did an Avengers parody skit, and he said something like, all right, I got to go pick up my arrows. And they're like, what, you you don't have more? And he's like, this quiver only carries like 12 of them, so I have to go get them back. 
I love how Jen's mom just gives her number out to different people. Oh, there's Yusuf at the coffee shop. He needs to know what it's like to be a superhero because he wants to be a superhero. Mom doesn't know about the dangers women face now and how we... The first episode, I wasn't here last week because I was ill. The first episode where Jen is, you know, fear and anger. And it's like, oh, the regular emotions women have. Yes, because men, when you're trying to ask somebody out, you're afraid that she'll say no and maybe laugh at you. We're afraid that you're going to murder us because that happens. That is something we have to deal with all the time. And even my mom knows not to do that. I do not know what world her mom is living in, but that's one of those things where you have the right to be mad at your mom for doing that. And also, Jen, in the course of getting fired and trying to find a new job, she has a whole bunch of questions about the Avengers. I mean, she was basically telling her cousin Bruce before she doesn't want to do this. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, do they get paid? Is there dental? Is there a 401k? These are questions that we have been asking for years, especially I have. Because I bet, especially when the Falcon and the Winter Soldier came up and Sam doesn't have any money to pay for the bills. And it's just, didn't Tony like leave some sort of bank account or foundation or, or something for after he died to help his fellow Avengers when they came back? Why are they broke? How did Captain America have that apartment if he wasn't getting paid by someone? Was it S.H.I.E.L.D.? How is this working? Again, these are the same questions I have been asking for a long time. Well, Cap was definitely working for S.H.I.E.L.D. That's how he was able to afford that. I think that was made apparent, especially in The Winter Soldier, you know, that that he gets, uh, you know, paid through them. I believe it was even a thing in the comics where he applied for pension or back pay for the decades in which he had been frozen. That was a point of contention there that was referenced in the comics. But as far as the Avengers, yes, that was brought up in Falcon and Winter Soldier that they don't get paid. There's no salary. There's no benefits. They're valid questions for Jen to ask, though. I don't begrudge her for taking those things into consideration. After we watched this last night, the family, the girls, my son-in-law and everybody, we're watching this episode and my youngest daughter says, "Ooh, I want to watch this movie on Netflix. It was called Purple Hearts, came out this year on Netflix. I'm not going to blame anybody that's listening to this that has not seen it because I honestly wouldn't have seen it. And basically, it tells the story of a young Marine that has gotten married to this woman who has type one diabetes and does not have health insurance. So it's kind of common in the service to have this sort of insurance fraud where you get married. So the spouse can have the benefits and stuff like that. So the movie goes into that, but of course it's a rom romance movie, romance drama, not really rom rom com it's romance drama talking about all those things. So yeah, you know, benefits, it does kind of make the world go around in different situations, including getting married. And Chris, you got married for the benefits, right? Oh, yeah, I totally got married for the benefits. It, it was the best. Actually, the benefits came later for me. <laughs> okay. Now, 
Also, in the course of watching this episode, my youngest daughter had not seen episode one, and we haven't talked about it yet, but that previously on that was on the beginning was perfect for her. So she was able to slide into episode two without having to watch episode one. I think it's a disservice to watch this without watching episode one, but you could totally watch episode two with the previously on and not miss a thing. Yeah, they do a little bit better of a job summarizing than I do for ours. Well, you're just trying to get the funny stuff. That is true. As Jen is deciding to take the case, she does the smart thing. She calls Bruce and she just doesn't stop talking. I've been known to do this. I am awkward. I am a dork. You just start talking and you keep talking. And then there are pauses. You want to feel the pauses. And she just keeps going and it's great because it really is her justifying to herself and to Bruce why she's going to take the case. And I love that Bruce knows this about her because cats to her. He he tries to say a couple of things and he realizes, okay, Jen is going, Jen is doing her Jen thing and I'm just going to sit here and listen and at the right time say you're taking the case and she's just like yes i'm taking the case i relate so much to her awkward dorkiness and because of that conversation we get bruce banner in the spaceship headed out into the universe which we talked about it last time but might be indicative and i called it planet hulk last time my apologies my deep apologies i was talking about world war hulk which anthony you talked about last time so this could be the impetus, again, to bring Hulk into the universe for some sort of World War Hulk story, whether it's ingrained on its own or as part of another story. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe he shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy and we just haven't been told about it. I just want to know what cell phone carrier he's using because they have some really good coverage. Didn't Tony Stark make a phone call from space too? No, yeah, his, this was in the suit, wasn't it? His was in the helmet and it did start crackling as he began to leave atmosphere okay so jen is part of this new law firm and then she goes in and nikki's there which is awesome right and by the way just as a quick aside she gets out of the family dinner just because she had a date i want to know who she was dating i think that's going to come up later maybe it's a red herring i don't know anyway she's there and there's this whole thing about her office and stuff and uh, chris i mean you really identify with that situation go in there and, you know, you have these windows that I'm sure were very expensive and they better not break because it's going to take like a year to get replacements in. What I really think is the important part, though, is you've got your people in there who get to work with you. And so she gets to work with Nikki, gets to have Nikki right in there with her. They have the stocked mini fridge, which is very important, I hear, for lawyers for a variety of reasons and just knowing that you have your space in here where you can get your stuff taken care of even though there's big windows to the inside hallway too so you don't have a hundred percent privacy and i don't know how the soundproofing is in there at all you'd think with superheroes you know you might want to close off who's in the office and keep the sound dampening pretty good but just knowing that you have this office that is yours 
and you can do what you want with it, and you can decorate it how you want in a work-appropriate way, of course. That's a big deal. I have never had an office. I have a home office, but I have to uh, take a moment to thank Pug for letting her know where to poop. Because during a work shift, whether you're doing eight hours, sometimes lawyers will put in 12 or 16, you definitely need to know where to poop. And you want that bathroom that is well-stocked and off the beaten path. Because you really don't want people to know you're pooping when you're pooping. I, I, I used to have an office and, and it was by the window and, and I used to be able to look, look outside the window and, and I used to look out the window and, and see the squirrels in, in the trees and I would pretend that the squirrels were married and, and now they moved me down into the basement and, 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 and I, I, I can't even listen to my music while I'm collating. Office space, by the way, is, it's not a comedy, it's a documentary if you've worked in an office before. <laughs> I don't begrudge Jen for getting, uh, or, or I don't begrudge Nikki for being stoked about the, the corner office, but you know, if, if they continue to, to screw over Jen or if they, if they fire her, then, then she, she can set the building on fire. I love how she's approached and she's like, okay, I'd like you to come work for us. And she doesn't care about what the job is or anything. She's just assuming she's going to be an associate, not a partner. And she's just going to be a normal lawyer. She doesn't even know she's going to be heading up a whole new division or anything. And her whole thing is, I want my own paralegal. And he says, I don't care who your paralegal is which in a firm like that you know you don't you just want you you hire the lawyers right yeah now interestingly enough in the in the dance slot run she was hired at you know glk and h and she was hired by holloway but he was specifically requesting jen walters he did not want she hulk he's like we're hiring jen you know in your human form so this is kind of flipping it around a bit in the the tv show I do enjoy, we talked about her transforming in the alcohol consumption and everything last week. It was fun watching her consume alcohol as She-Hulk, then transform to Jen Walters and like, whoops, instantly different metabolism. And then she just falls on the floor right there. I don't know if I truly believe that, but I don't have anything to oppose that with. So I'm just going to go with what's on the screen there. Yeah, I'd think that she would at least slowly move over because it's not like she has different blood in her or anything. And I love the fact during the opening where the credits, the, the marquee for the show changed from attorney at law to attorney for hire. I loved how that just, it was in line with the sitcom ish ness of the series. And that gets me into a broader discussion about this. And no, Michelle, you were talking about the length and I agree. It was really short at the end. I knew it was supposed to be a sitcom, but it's not really coming across as a sitcom. There are funny parts to it, but it's more of an action drama, a funny action drama, basically. And I'm not so sure that format is hitting that run length of the episode. I think with an action drama, even if there's comedy involved, it needs to be a little bit longer than the 25 minutes. And that gets me to the comments that I made last week about the editing. I don't know if anybody went back after I made the comments and looked at the editing of the episode and how it was a little bit abrupt to me in some cases where they were really trying to cut it down, basically. 
And if their runtime is looking like they really want every episode to be 25 minutes and that last week was just really too long, I could see how those editing cuts were made. But I think this was really short. I mean, a sitcom is almost a standalone episode and you have maybe one or two running themes that last like an entire season or at least half a season. This is nine episodes and it's just, it feels really short to me. I'm not entirely complaining because I enjoyed watching it. It was just abrupt at the end where I'm like, okay, there's something wrong here. What is it? And that's the only thing I can point to. So if anybody's got a comment on that, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Other than that, I'm still liking the show. I'm not saying I I don't like the show, but I did notice that it was a little bit, huh, what exactly am I watching? I don't know. I wouldn't say it's, it's tonally inconsistent. I think that, at least in terms of the MCU, especially with some of the stuff in phases three and four, we've seen this, some would say, unfortunate injection of humor into everything that doesn't necessarily make the whole thing a comedy. I think it's going to ultimately be, you know, a bit of a a, a lighthearted scene. They, the showrunner and various people who've worked on it essentially said this is like Ally McBeal. And so however you would quantify Ally McBeal, minus the the lack of punching in that show as a comedy with some dramatic elements this is that plus you also have some superhero stuff i don't envision there's going to be a ton of punchy punchy compared to some of the other things we're not gonna this isn't gonna turn into like moon Knight where someone's getting beat down every episode but uh i think it's going to be a a decent mixture and i think that's one of the reasons why i'm enjoying it as much as i i am now, Chris, you talked about the breaking the fourth wall last week. Are you comfortable with how the fourth wall was broken this week? Both times on it, yeah. Um, I want to definitely include the previously on in there because you're starting off right off the rip, letting anybody who missed episode one and jumped right into episode two, letting them know that this can happen. I'm a little bit curious about why Bruce somehow was able to notice Jen doing it in the first episode, but nobody in the entire lawyer office really noticed Jen breaking that fourth wall talking to us in this episode. But that is something that you can definitely use a fourth wall break to explain why nobody is noticing fourth wall breaks and make a new wall just to break it. I'm definitely wondering what she agreed to be agnostic about. Because she's oh, going to be yeah, worrying definitely. about for that for the next year or two. Anthony, you also ran into something about the Eternals. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but the Eternals. Let's talk about the Eternals. So when she's online and she's scrolling, this is a, a very much freeze frame thing. There's a line in there about there's a giant statue of a man in the ocean. And I'm like, finally... Why has no one been talking about this? This happened at the end of Eternals. They're literally, you know, the first third of a giant Titan thing came out of the the Earth. He's frozen, turned into marble in the middle of the ocean. No one has referenced this at any point since the Eternals has been made. This is a big flipping deal. And it takes She-Hulk to be the one. Oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, there's a statue of a guy in an ocean. No kidding. Like. Uh, hello i just has this thrown off the axis i have i have questions i have questions i have thoughts there's a lot going on here 
let's go back to the very first few phase one movies in the MCU where they all kind of happened simultaneously. And there was little new snippets going back and forth between the, the ones. Maybe we're not getting that because all of this is happening simultaneously between Ms. Marvel, Hawkeye, although Hawkeye is a different time of year, but uh, Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Maybe it's because it's all happening simultaneously. That's the only thing I can point to. And Shang-Chi, obviously, because of the abomination footage that we saw. I mean, it could be, but I'm glad to see somebody reference it. I was like, this is a giant event, and I know some folks want to forget Eternals happened. It hasn't. I mean, it, it hasn't been forgotten. It has happened, and I'm just glad to see some kind of a little nod to it. We're living in a world where Thanos happened. Is a hand coming out of the ocean really that surprising? Well, it might be surprising. Might not be surprising, but you still might be like, oh gosh, no, not this again. Timing has been part of Phase 4's problem. When are things happening? Why are things happening? When we talked about Midnight, we were just trying to figure out, was it during the blip, post-blip? It took us a while to figure out it was post-blip. So getting a timeline of when things happened would be, so we just now know that Eternals happened before She-Hawk, and it seems basically before Shang-Chi, or perhaps the end of Eternals is when Shang-Chi begins. I don't know. Phase 4 has not been planned well. Yeah, conversely, where the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you got a lot of blip conversations. Jessica Gao came out with a interview this past week and said we are moving past the blip we are not dealing with it we are moving past it because the marvel universe has moved past it i'm like timeline wise i'm not sure that works i know for our timeline it works because it's been years now for us but i'm not sure it works in the timeline so maybe it'll be better explained later Michelle, I'm going to give you a last word on this because you weren't here last week. We all talked about the CGI. You had a note about the CGI, so I wanted to give your say about that. Tatiana, her personality, her ability overcomes the CGI. I don't want to get into the politics, and I really don't want to add to the mountain of critiques, but it's there. The green is wrong. The hair doesn't have good movement or highlight in it. I basically have to throw all that away. When I watch her, my brain is just like, ignore, just focus on the performance. That's what I have to do. I have to focus on her performance, her, the way she's talking, a little bit of the facial expression, that's another part of it. Because you could tell when she's Jen, there's a lot more there. Tatiana is a subtle actor. So the, a twitch of the nose, a thing with the eye is not coming across when she's She-Hulk. But we're getting her at least as Jen so we can see that. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I'm, yeah, I don't want to add any more to the pile. 
A couple of quick things that I'll say is that over the years, Hulk's animation has changed style to get where he is. And we definitely have indication that She-Hulk will be continued in the MCU. I would think that her animation would continue to evolve over time as well. So it might get better over time. We'll go with that. The other thing that I'll say is I never watched Orphan Black, but because of this, I'm like, I have totally missed out. I totally need to watch it. I went to go find it. It is $25 a season. There's nowhere that I found that I can stream it. $25 a season. There's five seasons. It's worth it. I'm just saying it's $125. I'm going to start. Well, when I get around to having time, I'm going to start watching it and get into it. And it's hopefully wait for a sale, maybe around the the holiday timeframe that I'll be able to get a sale on the episodes around the season so i'm surprised you can't stream it anywhere i haven't found anywhere that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist it means that i have not been able to find it anywhere it's a bbc property or actually it's a canadian space property that aired in the united states on bbc america so there's a whole bunch of streaming crap i guess that's with it i don't know anyway let's get into final thoughts of this episode i think we beat it to death anthony i'll start with you well, as I said, I like it. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the legal discussions that they're going to get into. Uh, at least I'm hoping that they get into the ramifications of being a superhero and a super lawyer. We've beaten that CGI discussion to death. I would like to see them get back to Titania a little bit more, and I'm hoping that maybe in the third episode we'll revisit that and get more information on that as Jen proceeds to stay with GLK and H. I'm also looking forward to what I understand to be a litany of D-list characters showing up that will be now canonical to the MCU, just so they can have a little bit of a cameo. These are characters that are never going to get their own movie, they're never going to get their own series, but we can say, oh yeah, by the way, this character exists, this hero is a thing, this villain is a thing, just so they can be incorporated into the MCU. I think that really opens up storytelling and assist with the world building moving forward. And all of the fourth wall breaking is that can happen. There is so much here that is on the table. Like maybe we can get a good explanation for why we just kind of skipped over Titania. Maybe all these D list characters that are going to show up, we're going to get some little bonus thrown out of, Hey, this is where you can go find them in the comics. Oh, this just came to me. Fantastic four comics. In the Marvel regular comic universe, there are Fantastic Four comics. So, is there going to be some kind of thing from Jen about people making comics about these characters and everything? It could happen. I'm just really excited to see where the show goes. I'm really excited for all these cameos of people that we know are going to happen but haven't seen yet. And most of all, this show is just being a lot of fun. And I want to keep having fun watching it. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I look forward to where it's going. I'm having fun watching it. Can't wait for the next episode. I will leave with this. It is a rumor. It is somebody's thought out there that they think they found evidence of Jessica Jones being cameoed in here without it being announced. So I don't know if that's just somebody wish or not, but talking about cameos and stuff like that, this could be a way to bring both Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones into the MCU proper universe. I know he was in Spider-Man and Jessica Jones as well. So we'll see if that happens. 
Next week, we will be talking about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Episode 3. Really looking forward to that. And we've got some news to talk about. Well, speaking of the Fantastic Four, we might have a director. Matt Shakeman from WandaVision is rumored to be the director for the Fantastic Four movie. A big piece of evidence is him stepping away from Star Trek Four. That's a huge property. Getting Lord from Star Trek Four to do Fantastic Four. I think that is what probably happened. Getting that job is significant. You're going to want someone you trust. This is the person who gave us WandaVision with outstanding show. It has to be in someone who is proven and trusted. I would feel comfortable with Matt Shakeman being the director of Fantastic Four. I would as well. Star Trek Four, that's the one that's supposed to have the space whales in it, right? But um All right, Chris, why don't you tell us about how She Hulk is being received? Spoiler alert to everybody, She Hulk is being received pretty well. Samba TV has reported that one point five million US households in the Live Plus 3 window, watch the premiere episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which is more than double the 662,000 viewers that turned in for Miss Marvel's first episode. That's a disappointing number for the Miss Marvel part. Disney Plus delivered Hulk-sized viewership with the premiere of its latest Marvel program, She-Hulk. While recent female-led superhero series have been marked by lower viewership, or in the case of Batgirl, were canceled altogether, boo. She-Hulk reversed this trend, more than doubling the premiere weekend viewership of the most recent Marvel series, Miss Marvel, and delivered numbers on par with Moon Knight. Stars like Tatiana Maslany and Mark Ruffalo helped make this a big hit with Gen Z millennials, black and Hispanic households that all over-indexed in their viewership. That is a lot of fancy words to say, people are watching the show and they're liking it. Despite what the haters say. Well, haters gonna hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate. I immediately regretted opening that up as soon as I said it. I remember talking about Samba TV, and I don't know if it was earlier on this show on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or if it was on Starling Tribune. I need to get more into how they collect data in order to ascertain, you know, what really is 1.5 million households versus the 662,000 viewers. I have no way to ascertain. If they even use the same algorithm between the two for the last you know couple of months or anything like that, that said, just assuming that it is correct, uh, it could have of an effect of the viewership date. Miss Marvel premiered on Wednesday. She Hulk premiered on Thursday. We talked about it last time. You know that gives you the Saturday date to watch it with She Hulk. So maybe it's working in the favor. And if I don't know if live plus three really is the avenue that people are going to care about in the streaming world, you know, maybe that means something. I don't know. Basically, that's what I'm saying. I just don't know what this means. 
you also have to take into consideration, I believe that Ms. Marvel premiered while Obi-Wan Kenobi was still going on. So you had a conflict of viewership. Mm-hmm. Because my yeah. wife and I were watching both shows at the same time. So it was like, oh, which one are we going to watch first? Are we going to finish up Kenobi? Are we going to start Ms. Marvel? There was, it was a thing. Yep. Yeah. All right, Anthony, let's talk about the possibility of other MCU characters. So after losing her job, uh, Jen Walters begins to wallow as she scrolls through various potential employment opportunities. And while perusing the various options, a small selection of articles can be seen on the right of the screen. And that was where the Eternals reference came from. But another one read, man fights with metal claws in bar brawl. While it's currently unconfirmed, uh, many fans have taken this as a subtle reference to Wolverine, a mutant who is iconic for his adamantium blades and tendencies to start fights at pubs because he is the best at what he does. And what he does is not very nice. Why is the assumption Wolverine and not Sabretooth? Well, because I think it's just more of the iconic character. Sabretooth is also obviously capable of starting a fight in a bar. But I think we've established it's certainly within character for Logan to have a few drinks, take umbrage at something somebody said, and slug him. And then the claws pop and it's all downhill from there. If Logan has super healing and a higher metabolism for it, does he have the same alcohol tolerance that She-Hulk has? I mean, he's got the healing factor. He's got a metabolism, but it's also been demonstrated that Logan is very capable of getting drunk, both in the comics and in the prior Fox universe. So how they're going to play this version of Logan slash Wolverine, if it is him, I don't know yet. Well, jumping back to your Sabretooth question, I don't think you bring in Sabretooth without having Wolverine tag along, but you can certainly have Wolverine come in without Sabretooth. So either way, I think Wolverine is involved. The key word being metal. Does Sabretooth have metal claws? I don't believe so. I mean, he's got, he's got the, the claws on his hands, but I think that's just sharpened bone. All righty. We'll go with that. All right, Michelle, what do you think we should do right now? Well, I think we need to get Wong to provide us with an escape route. And you just blew our attorney-client privilege with that, too. Okay. Anyway, talking about attorney-client privilege, thank you, Anthony, for coming along another day. We look forward to your special counsel next episode. No problem. Uh, glad to be here as always. You can find I co-host a show called Capes on the Couch. You can find us on our website, capesonthecouch.com. We're currently on hiatus, but we will be ramping up production very soon for season eight, so stay tuned there. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Capes on the Couch. I'm Michelle. You can find me on Twitter at show underscore game. Thank you everyone for listening and watching us. We all love the fact here that you are getting consent before you shove the show into your friend's ear holes because you want to make sure that they're not surprised too much by all of the awesomeness that they're going to get from the other hosts here and the little bit they'll get from me. But if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to playcomics.com where, as we're recording this, tomorrow there will be an episode where I 
talk to somebody about a superhero cat who is fighting demons. And that could be any one of your cats, actually. Oh, it's actually not one of my cats. It's more. So there are at least four cats who are capable of fighting demons. Okay. Well, if you want to talk to us about the episode right after you watch it, go to our Discord server, gunnageek.com slash Discord. There is a spoiler channel, which we generally use for the week after the episode comes out. Please keep comments there. And a lot of you have already. Thank you very much for that. We've had very interesting conversations back and forth about the CGI, about the tone of the episodes, about how, every, how people are enjoying it or not enjoying it, what your favorite Disney Plus Marvel shows are. You know, you can list six or seven now. So yeah, there's been a lot of great conversation over there. Once again, that's guineageek.com slash discord. And until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm Special Counsel Anthony. See everybody next time. Bye. 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 This episode is adjourned. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.